Good morning, everyone. Parker just read a passage in 2 Corinthians that is absolutely beautiful, beautiful statement with regard to how that through Christ we have a sense of motivation, something that drives us. And what's interesting about this statement is because in everyday life, we know we are influenced by other people. Sometimes we're repelled to do things just because of someone else's actions. And there are other times in which we, we love doing what we're doing, again, by the influence of someone else. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're looking at the concept of being compelled, in this case, by the love of Christ. So typically you'll hear sermons along the lines of, you know, why are you here? Why do you come to church services? Right? Some might, in regard to that question, say, well, I don't want to go to hell. And if you don't go to church services, you're going to go to hell. And so that's why I come to church services. I don't want to go to hell. Others is because, you know, I, I found a passage in the Bible, and this is a rule in the Bible. So therefore, that's why I come to church, because you go to church or else you don't follow the rules and you go to hell. And then there are others that combine all three and like, well, I just feel guilty. You know, so guilt brings me to church. You know, maybe I've got this going on in my life with that going on. And, and here's the thing about these motivating factors. That's not wrong in and of itself. In fact, that's the reason why I've shared with you in the past why I became a Christian. All of those. The way I was taught, and I knew nothing of God's word, but the way it was presented, that's what was in my mind. I don't want to go to hell. God's word said so. And I felt guilt. I was convicted in my heart that I was not living as God wanted me to live. And so I became a child of God. And that continued as a young child of God um, in a number of years where that was the way I lived life. Now, it doesn't mean I didn't learn about God's love and I didn't know about various truths that could motivate me in a positive way, but I was ruled by this, by and large. I'm going out on not so far of a limb to say that there are many that have their walk along these lines. In my mind, too many. Because it's not where we want to end up in our walk with God. This may be a part of where we are in our walk with God, and that may be fine, but that's not where God really wants us. He wants us to grow from this, right? And we want to see what are those motivating factors in how we go about doing God's word. And so some, you know, it's not even a compilation. It's just, I just do it, you know? It may be for whatever the reasons are that I just don't feel like doing anything. I'm not compelled at all. I just do whatever I do. And it's just what, you know, whatever goes. Some just live life like that. Maybe an indifference, right? And so there's a variety of things that go on that compel us one way or the other. But when we look at God and look at what is his motivating factor, because if we start from, quote unquote, before the beginning, God existed, right? And so why would God want to make us? I mean, here is a quote-unquote heavenly spiritual being, and he's wanting to make people made from the dust of the ground? Why? You know, what would motivate God to create man? 
And yet that's what we see in the very beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth, and all of that is intentionally to bring us to the creation of mankind. And we go further, we see him not only making us, but specifically, explicitly, he's making us in his image. Very intentional that God made us in his image. And that he made us a dwelling place where we and him, we dwell together. That's the picture when you read the first couple of chapters in Genesis, right? After creating the heavens and the earth, he has this garden. And in this garden is where he's walking, and that's where man is. And that's this dwelling that we have with him. Why would he do such things? Especially if we start going just for a while, just to think through things. Aren't we all sinners? Why would he make us? with the ability to sin, knowing that it causes heartache. Why would he continue to dwell with us? Why would he put up with us when person after person, time after time, millennial after millennial, if you will, we continue to mess up? And the only thing that I can come up with of all the scriptures and its revelation is because he loves us. Now let that sink in. Knowing that we would sin, knowing that he has given us that the choice, right, to love him or not love him, he still made us. And I believe that is the kind of compelling you cannot teach. You cannot teach a person to be compelled. Right? I mean, here's one thing that we can do when we're talking about the fact that God loves us, He makes us, and He even goes to the point of sending His Son, who we call Jesus, to die in our place. So here's this compelled God out of pure love doing all of this, even in the midst of all the heartache that we bring upon Him. And so here's the thing. You cannot be forced, right, into being compelled. How many of us this morning, children, I'll let you answer the question, even if it embarrasses your mom and your dad, and that includes my children. How many of you feel like you're forced to come to church services? Anyone here ever feels that way? No one wants to get grounded. <laughs> oh, I got one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Andrews, we have to have a talk. No, no, no. So the thing is, these things are realities. There are times when we may feel like my, my mom, my dad, maybe it's my husband, maybe it's my wife, like I'm made to feel guilty if I don't come or so on and so forth. It may be from a, a variety of reasons that we are forced. You know, if you don't come, you can get a spanking or you get grounded or you get time out or you, whatever the situation is. Right, husbands? I mean, sorry, children. So, so we get forced to come. You know, Jews, especially, I, I forget which, which pope it was, Pope III. It, it, in t- around 1200 AD, there was a Jew, not, not the pope, my bad, <laughs> Jews, not Christians, who um, they were forcing people to become Jews. 
or you die. Christians were doing the same thing with the Christian crusades, right? You become part of the Christian faith. You are forced to be baptized. That's what used to take place or else. And in in many cases, it included death. So there are people who are forced from an outward, external standpoint, but you know what could not be ever forced? It was the heart, right? You can reluctantly, because you want your life to be sustained or you want the lives of your spouse or your children or dear loved ones to be sustained, and so you give in, and you're like, all right, I'll be a Christian. Or you'll go and do whatever they tell you to do, whether it's to go get wet in water, because otherwise... I'm just going to have a life of persecution. That took place in a number of regions of this world in the name of Christianity. It doesn't surprise me if it still happens today at some point in some place, right? Whether it's from a standpoint of a friend making a friend, making sure, or a family member, or whether it's governments and what have you. Now, I cannot imagine it happening today from a standpoint of it literally, but I can't imagine because it's been done for centuries, right? The thing is, when you tell someone you're, you're forcing them to do something, it is one thing to actually physically make them do a, an act. It is another thing to have motive, to have feelings, things that you cannot touch, you cannot see, not in a direct, substantive way. And that's the beauty of this. Right, When we're talking about being forced to love God, that is an individual choice. And it's one thing in which we we do it because of the rules or the guilt or whatever the the situation may be. It's a whole other level when you you can break free from that mindset and move to this picture called love where you voluntarily, you not only voluntarily, it bubbles up from within you that you cannot help yourself because there's something about God and your relationship with him that moves you past that threshold where you are compelled. Huge difference. I remember very, very clearly um, the day, well, the day after I became a Christian, I got arrested and it was because of selling books door to door, license thing, not because I'm evil or anything like that. So I had a couple of days to myself and I used it um, with the preacher and we were doing Bible studies. But then my first day back at work, I remember as a 20 year old skipping, yes, 20 year old male on the collegiate wrestling team, skipping on the sidewalk. I was on cloud nine. I'm a brand new Christian. And I couldn't help myself, just absolutely compelled to share the very, very little, the next to nothing that I knew about God and about Jesus with everyone. And I mean everyone. I sold my books as fast as I could, and then with whatever time I had left, I would share Jesus Christ with all the families in the homes I was going to. It was a great, great summer. There was nothing about that that I felt Um, I had to do it because of the rules because I didn't know what the rules were. All I knew was I was saved. And it moved me to tears. Over time, 
you start learning all the, the rules as we would teach them. Maybe rules from a traditional standpoint, maybe rules even from a biblical standpoint, but rules nonetheless. And over time, it's more that. And even though I know the truth of, of this feeling that I had experienced in my daily walk as a brand new babe in Christ, it was, it was different. And over time, things get more from that rules vantage point. From the standpoint in which that guilt and the hell picture that caused me to become a Christian starts sinking back in. But one thing that, that never, ever had changed was this love that God kept showing me. Even as I would mess up in my walk with him. And that's exactly what God even commands. Doesn't he not command our love for him? This morning in our Bible study, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and you read verse 4 and particularly verse 5, and then we were talking about the Shema just as a passing statement. It was a, it's a Jewish prayer, right? And the Jewish prayer said every single day and sometimes multiple times a day depending on what's going on in the life of a, of a Jew. But the Shema is basically this prayer that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's, that's what it is. You shall love. It's in command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. But the reality is, even if it's in this command form, that doesn't mean people will do it because it is an intrinsic thing that you cannot see necessarily. You might see the fruit of that in action. But even that can be deceptive, right? I might do it. I might... Do what mom and dad said because I'm supposed to, but I may not have any desire to do it. Like as soon as I get on my own, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I want to do. Or you're so compelled by the relationship you have with your mom and your dad or your husband, your wife or your siblings or any loved one that you are compelled in such a manner to live in such a manner that pleases that individual. That's what we're talking about here in these last couple slides, just to understand what it means to be compelled by the love of God. So when you look at this, I'm going to look at a couple of passages. One was in Luke chapter 7, there's this parable, right? The parable of two debtors. And to summarize the parable, and you can go there if you want to read it, verses 40 to 44, you got one person that owes this much, very little, like 50 denarii, right? And you got another person that owes a lot more. And Jesus' basic question was, who do you suppose loves more? The one who is forgiven a small debt or the one who is forgiven a very large debt? I'm summarizing. Well, the person's response was that the one who was forgiven more would love more. And Jesus says, you've answered rightly. See, there is something about feelings being attached to an experience where you feel so indebted and that debt has been wiped away and not with a condition in this case, right? It was just this debt is wiped away. Who loved more? And there's something to be said for that very concept. Now, go on to Matthew chapter 9. This one I want to read for just a little bit. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 9. And read the story of this person with leprosy in contrast to those that were with him. 
this is something that I think is so crucial for us understanding how when you are compelled, you do what you do. Okay, in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 27, Jesus passed on from where he had been, and then two blind men followed him, crying aloud, saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord. Then Jesus touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. Their eyes were opened. Absolutely amazing, miraculous miracle taking place. And then Jesus sternly warns them, see that no one knows about it. Jesus very clearly commands them not to tell anyone. Now, you've just been healed by Jesus and he commands you not to say anything, what are you going to do? Listen to him, right? Because he told you not to. They are looking at Jesus as an amazing figure, a man with great authority that he could actually tell blindness to leave a person, and blindness leaves them. Blindness is obedient to the Son of God. And they don't listen to Jesus. It's not that they were trying to be rebellious to Jesus. They couldn't help themselves. They're compelled. You have the cure for cancer. You keep it to yourself. If you have any sense of love within you, you share it with the world. Only greed could stop you and keep you from doing that which would be so beautiful as to share what you're so compelled to share. Right? And that's the case here. These two blind men, they were compelled to, in fact, disobey the Son of God. Again, not to be rebellious against him, but because they had been made well. I mean, how else do you, would you explain to your mom and your dad, your brothers and sisters, all your friends, why you can walk around and see them now? And you're really, there's this guy. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Here's what he did. That happened this on more than one occasion, by the way. The idea of Jesus saying, don't do it, and they did. They couldn't help themselves. And when we're talking about being compelled, there's a big, huge contrast between it and simply knowing to do what is right. Right? You can academically know what to do, but the desire to do it may not even be there. But you'll still do it just because you're supposed to. Or for other reasons that was mentioned earlier in contrast though when you are genuinely pricked in your heart it motivates you to do things you would otherwise not have done and so in acts chapter 2 when you read of the the preaching of peter and the uh, other apostles in verse 37 it says there are those thousands right three thousand souls who were pierced to the heart or pricked in their hearts it says to actually fulfill a command by the apostle Peter, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, right? For the remission of your sins. And they weren't looking at things from a standpoint of, well, let me do my Bible study and understand if this was what needed to be done. They were so pricked in the heart, they were so compelled that when Peter said, this is what I want you to do, based upon all that previous, whether it's minutes or hours, however long it took to preach, they were compelled to go in that water, not simply to get wet, 
but to compel, be compelled to submit their lives to Jesus Christ, who they had previously crucified. Let that sink in. People who called for the death of Jesus are not turning to him. There's something about being compelled. It's like a parent, you know, as we do as parents, whether it's right or wrong, this is just the reality. We have children, and some of our children will at some point say, why can't I be baptized? Right? And parents, some parents struggle like, well, maybe I think you might be too young, or do you know enough? And all these, di- the, that's the dilemma. And there at some point, the child is like, you can't stop me. I am so convicted that this is something I have to do. And then we're like, all right, can't stop you. Being so compelled. That's the idea. But you're being compelled ultimately to love. Right? That's the whole reason why the scripture says, you know, the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. It's eternal. It's perfect. It's everything that God wants from us. And so when we get back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to read the text here because the church at Corinth needs to know this very truth. And I want you to see what's said. Last week, we were looking at the new creation. This week, go a little bit before that. And notice what compels us or who compels us. In chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, once, just as Parker read for us earlier, notice what is being said. We, the apostles, we're beside ourselves. And if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. The, the things that we do, it looks like we're kind of crazy, it's because of our love for God. Now, I may be reading a little bit more than what's actually said here, but look at what they did. They're willing to give up their lives. They're willing to be beaten. They're willing to be imprisoned. Yeah, it's because they have a genuine love for God. And so if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, in some translations, compels us or impels different translations, right? But we're motivated, passionately motivated or controlled, if you will, by the love of Christ. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but you are so compelled that you live for him who for their sake died and was raised at some point we get past a threshold where it's not just I got to come to church because of this or that rule it's I want to I think Steve was mentioning that I think in last week in our Bible class and uh, the reality and I don't know if it was Brad or someone else was giving the, the Wednesday night invitation was like you know sometimes we don't feel like it but there's something about our walk overall in general that we want to be here we want to worship with the saints we want to go out into the world and we want to share the gospel not because well because there's a passage that says and it's in a command form and so therefore we'll do it but because we genuinely have this relationship with god and he died for us the son of god died in my place and because he died for me i want to live for him and i want to put to death this will even as I struggle in the flesh to put away this will of mine. 
so I can live in him, in him and for him and because of him. But that's what happens. And that's exactly what, P, what um, the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Corinth of why they did what they did as apostles. What, mo- what moved them, what compelled them. And he wants us to do the same thing. The Apostle John, of, of all the apostles, knew this. You see, when you look at John and read about him before he was truly converted to Jesus Christ, he may have been following with him, but he still wasn't learning. He wanted power, he wanted things, but he had issues. That's why he's called one of the sons of thunder, right? For whatever all that means, he didn't have the right frame of mind. It was acceptable, but not perfect. But he learned about perfect love. And as a result, if you look at his writings, more than any of the other disciples of Christ in the New Testament, he writes about loving God and loving your brother, loving your neighbor, and loving your enemies. Just do your research and you'll see. Far and away above the other writers. And in chapter 4 of 1 John... He writes time and again, in fact, the entire letter of 1 John about how we love God and us thus are known by God. But look at what he says in verse 18 and verse 19. In fact, backing up to verse 17 of 1 John 4. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we while in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Remember the motivating factor? It may be fear, maybe hell, maybe guilt. But love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. He didn't say it was wrong, it's not perfect. And the, the reality is, all the motivations that we might have, guilt, Fear, rules, at some point, it may go by the wayside. But where there is perfect love, it's enduring. It allows you to do things over and beyond than simply at surface level having things gotten done. And that's the reality of what the apostle here is saying. Perfect love casts out fear. He says this in final fear has to do with punishment but whoever has not been perfected in love because we love because he first loved us before we were created God's love motivated him compelled him to make us with whom he would have everlasting fellowship with my question to you is what compels you It's one thing for us to be here Sunday after Sunday. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad visitors, you've come and and you've joined us today. But our voices sing with a little more oomph, a little more depth, a little bit more emotion when it's controlled by love. Anything short of that, it affects us. 
and things aren't done with that passion that we can see the Lord having for us. And I pray that, that you will grow in this way, that you'll be perfected in this way, motivated, influenced, if you will, in this way. And if you're here this morning and you've not put on Christ, I want, I want you to stop and think. It's not just simply because there's something in the Bible says this is what they did, so you need to do it, otherwise you lose your soul and all that. Check mark. Those, that's true. You lose your soul if you're not going to submit to God. But that's not what God wants. It's just that. He wants all of you. As he gave all of him for you. By loving, uh, loving you so fully and completely, our jealous God wants all of you. He not just doesn't want your obedience. He wants your entire heart. The greatest commandment, right? Loving him with all your heart, soul, and mind, as it says in the New Testament scriptures. And so if you're willing to put away your, your will and that his will be done even to the point of death you have that perfect love and I pray that you're compelled to live this way the invitation is for you or brethren if you need our prayers by all means we'll be happy to pray for you let's do that as we stand and sing